It's time to talk sports. It's Hacksaw's Headlines. A panorama of the world of sports. Stories, comments, and opinions. Now, here's iconic sports talk show host Lee Hacksaw Hamilton and co-host John Riley. Who wants to talk Major League Baseball? We do. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, along with my co-host John Riley. We welcome you to a special podcast, a look back at the World Series, and a look ahead as to what's going to happen in the next couple of weeks in Major League Baseball. John, good afternoon. I pick Houston to win the World Series. Houston did win the World Series. That was impressive. We had a lot of topics on the table in a special edition of our baseball podcast. Your reaction to what you saw the Astros do to the Philadelphia Phillies? I mean, that team is loaded. I mean, they have so many great players, and boy, everything seemed to flip on a switch in Game 6, and we'll talk about the pitching matchup and how all that went down. But it is a very impressive team, an impressive organization, and uh, you know a lot of backstory, and we'll get into that today. So this is going to be a great episode. we got a lot of topics on the table. They're all going to swirl around baseball. We'll be back, of course, Thursday for our regular weekly podcast. John, what topic you want to pull off the table to get this thing started? Well, the Astros almost ran the table, so we got to start there. Houston goes 11-2 and in the World Series. Think about that accomplishment. Houston was down, could have gone out with the games in Philadelphia, and the Astros, John, come back and win three in a row. And you could check off all the boxes of how do you win a World Series. Occasional home run? Bingo. Quality defensive play? You bet. Phenomenal starting pitching? Right there. And then throw into the equation a no-hitter in the middle of the World Series. They did it every which way they could. They were the more complete team than the Philadelphia Phillies, who had a team of big bats but weren't a complete team. Yeah, I mean, we, we talked about this last time, how it's incredible how the Astros really rebuilt their program. You know, they tore it down and they built it back up, but they really were able to they, they, their whole team really just was performing at a high level. What surprised you the most about the Astros? Was it the contributions from the whole batting order? Or was it what they did with their pitching? Or was it all those guys coming out of the bullpen throwing 99? I mean, to me, it was it's guys like Jeremy Pena, you know, who was a rookie and who had just an incredible postseason. And, you know, they're able to... They're able to develop these guys on their farm system. I mean, to me, that's that's really impressive. What disappointed you about Philadelphia? To me, they did not have across the board through the lineup hitting. They had the occasional bomb, but they didn't get much accomplished beyond that. That, to me, is a big issue because maybe it was a hole. Maybe I shouldn't say they were frauds. They did earn their way to play in the World Series, but they were the last team that got qualified and kind of came up and caught them. Maybe maybe philosophically, you can pitch around the big bats in their batting order, and then Philadelphia just didn't have anybody to support what Harper would do on the odd occasion or the odd home run from Schwarber, et cetera. Yeah, it felt a lot like the Padres lineup, didn't yeah. it? You know, where you had Machado or um, you know some of the other bigger guys at the top of the order producing, but when you get down into the bottom third, it gets pretty sketchy. A lot of interesting names to talk about. Let's move on to topic number two that you want to cover. The Astros win the World Series, but. (laughs) But, you know, so, I mean, we're going to talk about Dusty Baker. I mean, what a great, you know, storyline he has been. Um, And, you know, he came up 
through well he came up as a brave like like back in the 60s um and now he finally has been able to conquer uh or to slay his own dragon right and to get the world series trophy so we're all happy for dusty and and what he's been able to accomplish Dusty came up as a Brave, became a star with the Dodgers, was with the Giants, finished up with the Athletics, and then became a manager. And, you know, you have to feel good because he's a baseball lifer. This is all he has ever done. And he was a rock-solid everyday player. Oh, yeah, for sure. I'll tell you what, you look at what he's done as a manager, John, absolutely amazing. 25 years as a major league manager, never won a World Series. He's got over 2,090 career victories. I mean, based on tenure and longevity, maybe somebody looks at him as a Hall of Fame candidate, and now he's got the one thing he did not have, which was a World Series ring. Uh, you know, he his first year managing the old San Francisco Giants, he won 103 games. He lived in the Bay Area. We also had years where he won 69 and lost 90-plus, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and he wound up moving on. But, you know, he, he managed the Giants, the Cubs, uh, very popular in Chicago. The Reds did not have success much, but that was an organizational failure around him. Washington did well and then got moved out, which a lot of people think was a really bad decision by Mike Rizzo, the Nationals general manager. And then he brings law, order, and credibility to the Houston Astros. And think about how hard it was for him, John, to walk into that Houston clubhouse. They started to tear apart the team of cheaters. They were going through transition as guys started to leave. And then all of a sudden, the Astros walk in the front door and say, here's this rookie from AAA, here's this kid from AA. And the snap of the fingers, they rebuilt this controversial World Series team and moved guys out, replaced those guys with young guys who really came of age very quickly. And they did it without blowing up their budget. So, I mean, Dusty's managed egos, Dusty's managed the X's and O's, and Think of all the years that Dusty has progressed through Major League Baseball. Hell of a guy. Yeah, I mean, terrific guy. I mean, I just I remember collecting my baseball cards of the Atlanta Braves back in the day. And remember, they had four, three guys that hit 40 home runs in, in one season. And it was Aaron, and it was Davey Johnson, and I can't remember the third guy. But then they also had Dusty Baker on that roster. And then he went to the Giant, I mean, to the Dodgers and had a great run in the late 70s. But I just, the memory I have of him is... Uh, the managing the Giants in the World Series. I remember his son kind of ran up out by home plate. Yeah, and then I think it was J.T. Snow had to scoop him up, <laughs> um, and then. He, then he had that moment when they were playing the Angels in the World Series, and gosh, I can't remember who the pitcher was, but he pulled him out of the game, and he sort of flipped him the game ball, like, you know, it was all in the bag for the Giants, and then it all went sideways. But you but you still always liked a guy, he was first class, and when the Astros went through all of their problems, he was the guy that came in and really put a face of, of um, uh, integrity behind that team. Credibility is the word that I use. Mm-hmm. So his driver's license says Johnny Lee Baker. Now we'll staple an attend attachment to it that says World Series winning manager. I don't know anybody in baseball that does not appreciate the greatness of his leadership through decades and decades and decades as the game has drastically changed. Next question. <laughs> okay. The next part, let's go to the ownership. I mean, because with all of this controversy with the Houston Astros, what's your take on Jim Crane? Very controversial guy. When I think Houston Astro baseball, I'm sorry. 
When I think Barry Bonds, when I think Roger Clemens, when I think Mark McGuire, Sammy Sofa, Rafael Palmeiro, to a degree Alex Cora, I think Astros, garbage cans, sign stealing, and cheating. Now, we're going to argue because you're old pro about, hey, getting an edge is part of the game. Mm -hmm. I have no problem with a guy out at second base peering in, trying to steal the catcher's sign when he places down two. But when you're using electronics, after the commissioner's offers for two years in a row, it sent out memos. There will be no electronics used uh, in in the in the dugout. You will not use video replay or live replay at a camera somewhere in the, in the tunnel by the dugout to try to figure out what what's being called. Astros did all that, and then they used garbage cans to deliver messages. So when I think of that guy, Jim Crane, who publicly stated after the scandal, after they got fined all that money, all those front office guys got fired after they took draft picks away. He said, we didn't have any advantage. So I think of Jim Crane. I still think he's a cheat. Now, I will say this. Organizationally, after they blew out the general manager, they blew out the farm director, Alex Cora left, all that controversy, they rebuilt the thing really quickly because they had kids in the pipeline. So I think you have to feel good about the Astros as an organizational standpoint. Jim Crane today uh, announcing that Dusty Baker is coming back. He will manage on a contract extension. They've not done the terms yet. So I think of him. I just I get a knot in the pit of my stomach about what the Astros did in the World Series. I don't know if it was tantamount to what the 1919 Black Sox did, but it was pretty bloody bad. Yeah, I mean, you got to figure that the buck has to stop at his desk, right? Because he's the owner. He's the chief executive. And you're right. He was a bit evasive. Like, oh, it didn't really matter. And, and, and he had to backtrack that. He the, he needs to take full responsibility because it's his team, his players, his budget. It's all on him. Um, but, you know, I also think there's a little bit of a tangent. The fans in Houston, they've got to be fired up. Oh, right? yeah. You know, because you can't blame the fans. And now they get to have uh, a, a World Series trophy that I think they can be proud of. Yeah, because in Houston right now, you got bad NFL football, Houston Texans, even worse, NBA basketball, Houston Rockets. So for the Astro fans wearing orange, that was pretty cool. Next topic. Next topic on the table. I mean, we talked a little bit about the roster, and like I told you, I was really impressed with Jeremy Pena. But up and down that roster, the pitching staff, the middle guys, the guys in the back end of the bullpen, the guys off the bench, it was a full team effort. Let's let's just talk about who's responsible for what happened with the Houston World Series victory. We can start with anybody in that batting order who could step up. And the guy on my shoulder swinging a bat, Jordan Alvarez, hit one home run in the postseason in this World Series, and it was the difference maker. The guy on the right, he's probably going to win the Cy Young Award, and rightfully so, 39-year-old grizzle veteran. How do you figure out a guy that's got 230 career victories, phenomenal earned run average, is 0-6 in his life in the World Series with a miserable 6.05 ERA, and then he won the game he had to win at the end of the run. So, I mean, Jordan's bomb... Verlander's grit, and then you add in anybody, anytime, any place. You mentioned Pena, World Series MVP at such mm-hmm. a young age. I'll mention Chaz McCormick going up the fence <laughs> that was to special. catch a fly ball yeah. that preserved a game. Mm-hmm. You add in that, then you've got the unheralded star third baseman Bregman. You've got all these other guys that are in this rotation of stepping up. So 
it was a 25-man roster. And I'll tell you what, two guys who had not performed well were difference makers right at the end. But, boy, the McCormick catch on the fence... Yeah, I mean that was the real deal. But you know there there were there are five guys that were left over from that 2017 team. There's Bregman, there's Altuve, Presley, um, and McCullers, and there's one other pitcher in the bullpen that was there. I mean, what's your take on the whole Altuve thing? You know, did a couple of years ago did he have wires underneath his uh, jersey? What's your take on that? Well, Altuve's a heck of a competitor. Unfortunately, he was caught up in the cheating thing. Uh, his buddy Carlos Correa left and went to Minnesota as a free agent. But Altuve had a really rough postseason. But right at the end, he came up with some knocks that helped the team win. Pretty good ball player, big money contract extension, good guy. But every time I think about Astro Baseball, I just, that thing flashes into my mind about the garbage cans and the cheating in the World Series. Mm-hmm. So am I biased against him? I guess I am to a degree. But they earned this one. And and uh, what a phenomenal accomplishment for the city of Houston. Yeah, I agree completely. Um, it's but it is. It's like the the Black Sox scandal. You know, it just <laughs> looms out there. You keep going back to it. My wife is still angry about the whole thing. Um, but you know, let's turn the page. Let's move on. Next topic on the table. We're talking about the World Series Zero, the special edition of our podcast. Yeah, well, and this was the, the the big story. I mean, you talked about it with Jordan Alvarez and the big home run. How did Rob Thompson handle that critical well, move? You know, in the past group of podcasts, we've talked about the Phillies manager. Managing by the book, managing by the gut. What do you do? And he kept yanking his pitchers out, despite the fact they were doing pretty well. I thought he overworked the bullpen, and I totally disagreed when he went out and he yanked that starting pitcher out of that last World Series game because Zach Wheeler was dominant. His last two pitches were 97-98, and he still pulled them. Now, granted, there were two guys on base, but he went to an overworked bullpen that he had done multiple times during the course of the playoffs. I thought it, it nearly killed him in the Pottery Series with his use day after day of the bullpen and yanking starters out early. Um the victory will be felt in Houston for a long time. This pain in Philadelphia probably has to be felt for a while, too, because I would have stayed with Wheeler as long as I could have stayed with Wheeler because he was still dealing. But, you know, to to go to Alvarado early as he did, then, you know, you got Dominguez, who I thought was overused. I just think Rob Thompson made a mistake. And it was obvious to me that they did not get a lot of response from their batting order. Aside from the bombs from Schwarber and the occasional home run from Bryce Harper, nobody really hit in Philadelphia with any regularity at all. And even at home, where at one point they were hitting 282 in the postseason at Citizens Bank Ballpark, they stopped hitting. So a lot of credit to the Houston Astro pitchers. They kind of choked off that Philadelphia lineup. But mishandling the pitching staff, oh, I... At least that's one man's opinion. <laughs> a man's opinion. But, you know, it's interesting how when they get into the postseason, you wonder if these managers are overmanaging, right? That And we saw a little bit about that with Dave Roberts in previous postseasons. We saw that even with the manager um, with the Rays when they pulled Snell out of the World Series when he was lighting it up for five innings. So I wonder if when they change their strategy, that sort of changes the dynamics, maybe a little bit of the mojo in the bullpen and in the dugout. So the question is, do you manage by your gut or do you manage by analytics? I mean, we want to push this topic on the table. 
Padres, who was pitching to Bryce Harper in that last playoff game? Mm-hmm. Should it have been Suarez? Could it have been? Might have been? Maybe should have been Josh Hader? All well, these managers, to me, are making all these mistakes at the most important time of the year, no? Or am I just second-guessing? <laughs> you know, well, it, it is. It's a critical time, and the, the spotlight is on these guys. But sometimes I think when they, they start managing differently in the postseason, you lose that kind of flow and that rhythm. And it sort of changes the dynamics. It puts other players on edge in slightly uncomfortable positions, and it can blow up on them. Pretty good season by Dave Dombrowski and then Rostov they put together in Philadelphia. I do think I do think that guy made a mistake handling pitching. Next topic on the table. All right. Well, let's let's take a look at these hitters. I mean, the the Phillies really had some great guys that stepped up with Harper and and with with all their pitchers as well. They had gone through some really bad times in Philadelphia. At one point, they had one of the worst defenses. I'd seen in modern-day baseball. They were just deplorable. And they had all these young pitchers led by Nola that showed up at the same time and just went through a real painful process to learn how to pitch at the next level. Nola's the only one that's still there. Uh, I, I will say they grew this thing. As, as we saw Alec Baum, the third baseman, he got collectively better and better. Stott came out of nowhere from the Arizona Fall League to become an established shortstop. And then Dombrowski went into the marketplace. And, I mean, he rented Schwarber, big home run hitter, lousy batting average, uh, went into the marketplace. Obviously, the Phillies spent tons of money to get Bryce Harper out of Washington. Went and got Johnny Segura, who I think is a really fine ball player. Pepper Potts, second baseman, shortstop, can hit occasionally. Um, catching was good. Uh, they, they found Wheeler, who was a refugee from the New York Mets, to give him a really good one-two combo. They pushed and fast-forwarded the young guys uh, in the bullpen. Uh, that's a pretty good team. Dombrowski did spend a lot of money. Oddly enough, Houston has won the World Series with a much lower payroll. Now they're going to have to pay some of those guys going forward as those guys head towards arbitration and, to a degree, head towards free agency. I mean, Philadelphia lost, lost, but they were the last one in, and they got to the World Series. I think that's pretty cool. Big, big off-field question uh, starting this next week. What, what does Bryce Harper do with the thumb? Because he could not play in the field. Because of the fractured thumb when he got hit by the pitch in a Padre game, uh, there's a rumbling now that maybe he should just go have immediate surgery, which would knock him out of the offseason, maybe be ready by spring training because you don't want Bryce Harper just as your designated hitter as good as he is. And boy, was he good. What, he hit 385, I think, in the World Series. Mm -hmm. Uh, Hey, Phillies earned it. Give him a lot of credit. But they had some holes. And then, like I said, I think the manager really made a a, a flawed mistake with how he structured the bullpen, not just in the final game, but leading up through the playoff series. And it finally caught up to him and bit him. Yeah, I mean, the the roster was impressive. You know, a lot of those players on the Philly roster – were players that were rumored to go to the Padres. Mm-hmm. You know, in terms, if you listen to Padre Twitter, you know, they were talking about Schwarber. They were talking about Real Muto. And so, I, for me, I, I, I think the Zach Wheeler story is interesting because he came up through the Giants organization and then he kind of found his way to the Mets, turned into a, a, a pitcher with potential that couldn't have put it together. And then he gets to the Phillies and boom, the guy blows up. So, um, Dombrowski, we've talked about him before. He is an intelligent guy. He knows what he needs to accomplish. He has great experience putting these teams together. And no team's perfect. Every team's got their flaws and their holes. And But he was able to kind of cover those up and get them from a number six seed right to the brink of winning the whole thing. 
an addendum to the Dombrowski conversation. We'll keep an eye on this going forward. David Dombrowski has had great success, Montreal, Detroit, uh, Miami, putting teams in World Series. He has an out clause in his contract. David Dombrowski has spent about a year prior to taking the Phillies job uh, as a consultant and assistant to the group in Nashville that's trying to get a baseball team and build a stadium, uh, a.k.a. Oakland Athletics. Mm -hmm. He has an escape clause in his Philadelphia contract that would allow him to exit, to go back to Nashville to complete whatever the project is. If the commissioner allows them and if they can come up with the financing to build a baseball stadium in Nashville to go get the Oakland Athletics, not going to happen a week from Monday. But keep an eye on that, that 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 could happen down road. I mean, it's, it's kind of like Arenado, you know, and Machado. You know, they've got an out clause in their in their contract. I never really thought of it in terms of a GM, but he's got to be a hot commodity. I'm sure other teams would love to have him. Yeah. Next topic on the table as we talk about the World Series and what's coming now that that is over. Okay, well, yeah, now we're looking at all of free agency, and we're already hearing a lot of conversation about what's going to happen to this player, to that player. What are the Padres going to do? I mean, where do you want to start here? It's 150 players right now are free agents. Uh, And we have a a series of deadlines here that we're going to pay attention to. Let me just run through this fairly quickly for you. Uh, 40-man rosters have to be set on November 15th. Everybody who's got all these players stockpiled and hidden in the farm system, Padres included, have to make a decision who will be on the 40-man roster as they go to the winter baseball meetings. There was no Rule 5 draft last winter because of COVID. The Rule 5 draft is back in place, which I think is going to mean a lot more guys are going to be left unprotected. There was a collective group last year that nobody had to account for. Now they got to be accounted for in addition to the guys that you've got in your farm system. So that that that's the uh, one of the things that has to happen. Uh, qualifying offers to big-name free agents. November 10th, Nick, this coming weekend, Mm -hmm. an Aaron Judge-type player. The qualifying offer figure for superstars is $19.8 million. I offer you the qualifying offer. You have a couple of days to decide. I'll accept it, which locks you in for next year at Mm -hmm. 19.8. Or I'll reject it, go into the marketplace, and there'll be draft pick compensation if you sign somewhere else. But the, the qualifying offer is only for big-name guys. It's not for everybody. So you got you got that coming up. Uh, negotiations for free agents. The marquee names, Thursday. They go on the open market. Friday morning, free agents can start signing with clubs if they wish. Will it be lightning strikes? You know, back in the day, George Steinbrenner would sit there behind the curtain and the first hour of baseball free agency, whammo, he'd go good guys. <laughs> yeah, he would. Uh, I don't know if that's going to happen or whether Scott Boris, the super agent now, will take his guys on a tour and they'll negotiate mm-hmm. negotiate, and this thing will drag out forever and ever. So you got you got impending free agency and the window opens there. you got the Rule 5 draft, which will be at the winter meetings, first week of December, which is here. The general manager's meetings are in Las Vegas. They have just begun. Uh, that's where GMs lay the groundwork of potential trades, etc. So now in terms of where we are with the Padres, uh, next decision is going to be from one of their pitchers. And it's it's a huge, huge question as to what's going to happen with Nick Martinez. They brought him from Japan, multi-year deal, 6.5 million base, but he has an opt-out. He has till Thursday night this week to opt out and go back on the market. Padres are already 
been notified. Jerickson Profar has opted out of his 7.5 mil contract. He's going to free agency. Robert Suarez, who came out of nowhere. I mean, credit boots on the ground scouts for the Padres to cite, scope, and sign this guy. At $5 million this year, would have gone to 6.5 this coming season. He's opted out. He's going on the open market. He's going to get some play, I really believe. Uh, they elected not to pick up the option in Will Myers' $20 million contract. He is off the books. They could bring him back, but I doubt that they're going to bring him back unless he's willing to take a massive pay cut. He may wind up somewhere else because at the end of the day, he hit two fifty eight in his career in San Diego, and he hit 98 home runs. was never, ever consistent. Good guy, multi-multi-position guy, could be trusted, but he wasn't a superstar, and he wasn't a $20 million a year player, so... He's gone much like the other guy who came here, Eric Hosmer, about that same time. So those guys are off the books. So that's where the Padres are. Uh, The Nick Martinez decision is coming. Part of me is stunned, but I understand it's economics, and I understand it's the player taking care of his family. But, you know, the Padres gave Martinez an opportunity after he failed before in Texas. And the Padres took a flyer on Suarez when nobody touched him, came here at great success, and now these guys are going out the door just like that. After what the Padres did, opportunity, groomed them, etc. Part of me is disappointed, but I, I do understand it is the business of baseball. Your reaction? Well, it's like corporate America, right? There's no loyalty anymore. You know, whether you're the you're the corporation or the employee, and I think that plays out in Major League Baseball. Show me the money. Yeah, exactly. So, but going back to the qualifying offer piece, I mean, that sounds a lot like the franchise tag in the NFL, right? Exactly. I mean, is, what are the differences between those two? Well, franchise tag locks you in at a big salary. Mm-hmm. And and the qualifying offer gives you the opportunity to get the salary, but you could turn it down and go on the open market. Uh, you can still re-sign with your club while you're shopping yourself. So it's a little bit of a difference. Baseball, the, the union is trying to change the qualifying offer. But I, I think last year, I think there were 14 guys who got the qualifying offer. It's not, it's not everybody across the board, mm-hmm. just like in the NFL. You don't franchise tag every guy just because the the cost is so, so high. Um, It's different. Speaking of free agents, as the window opens on November 10th, you got Aaron Judge. That's marquee. I don't know what will happen except we know that agent takes those players around the bend. Mm -hmm. And he will chop Aaron Judge of the Yankees for just a mega contract. Phenomenal number of shortstops around the free agent market. We're talking established stars. Carlos Correa has gone back out there again. Xander Bogarts has just opted out with the Boston Red Sox, and he is really a star. Dansby Swanson, who's grown into a star with the Atlanta Braves, is is going to be out there. Uh, Will Contreras, the catcher of the Cubs, is there. Uh, in terms of pitching, well, there's not a marquee group of pitchers yet. Zach Eflin of the Phillies just opted out of his contract today. Now, he wants to be a starter rather than a reliever. But he had a like a 1.15 earn run average coming out of the bullpen down the stretch for the Philadelphia Phillies. So, so that bears watching. And then, of course, Trey Turner of the Dodgers. So we got 
big, big names that are going to be on the free agent market starting on Thursday the 10th, and we'll see who signs quickly. But the fact that Scott Boros reps a lot of these big-name guys, maybe they won't be the flurry of signings immediately. Well, maybe the market is going to kind of get hung up until Judge signs, until Trey Turner signs, then they kind of set the baseline, right? And then everyone can kind of gauge their worth based on what the value of the market is. And if that drags into February, this whole thing could be stalled for a few months. I don't know that it'll drag that far, um, but... I mean, Aaron Judge is going to get a mega payday of $40 million a year. And that, that the rumor out here about the Dodgers and the Giants, I think there's a lot of validity to those statements just based on the fact he's a West Coast guy and the Dodgers historically have never been afraid to spend. Now, I'd, I could foresee there'll be some fallout along the way as the Padres have had guys opt out or the Padres decided he's not coming back at that price. You know, the Dodgers have decisions to make. What do they do with Justin Turner? That's big dollars. What do they do with Cody Bellinger in terms of trade market? That's even bigger dollars. They're not going to force a decision from Clayton Kershaw yet. So the Dodgers could be rearranging the roster to take some money that used to go there, put it over here. That might be Aaron Judge's acquisition. And what what do they do if Trey Turner leaves they promptly jump into somewhere else and maybe go get somebody else's shortstop because this is the best year of shortstops we've seen in free agency. So what happens in the next week to 10 days, we'll be talking about on our Thursday podcast. But, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that's going to happen in baseball. Dominoes will start falling fairly quickly. But isn't it amazing how big the money is now? I mean, because remember at one point there were million-dollar players way back when, and then there were $10 million, 20 30 Now we're talking 40 maybe even $50 million a year. And, you know, good on those players for earning that because they're worth it. But it just goes to show you how much money is involved in this sport and what the, you know, this was a reflection of the economy, but really the bankroll that, that those, those owners are really playing with. Um, it's like crazy now. Historical footnote, you being from the Bay Area, having been a Giant fan, probably would have paid attention to this. Back in the day, do you recall the stories? And you'd look it up and you'd find it. Sandy Koufax, Don Drysdale, both held out from the Dodgers together. They tag-teamed the Dodgers. And the Dodgers said, oh, we can't pay anybody $100,000 a year. That's what Sandy Koufax and Don Drysdale did. They held out, and they eventually got it. And now we're talking from $100,000 back in the day, and we're talking now to $40 million per year. Aaron Judge, wow. Hey, hope you've enjoyed our special World Series podcast. Uh, A reminder, John, where do people go to access everything we're doing on our special podcast, our regular Thursday broadcast, the subscription, etc.? So you can get involved. I mean, first of all, go to LeeHacksawHamilton.com. All the podcast episodes are there, all the audio only. And you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, Also go to LeeHacksawHamilton's YouTube channel and subscribe there. And if if you click on the bell, you will also get notified whenever we have a new live stream or we have a new episode um, or, or these these snippet episodes that we post from time to time. Hope you're enjoying what we're doing on our podcast. We'll be back Thursday with our regularly scheduled get together. Thanks for being with us. Join us again for Hacksaw's Headlines on YouTube, Facebook and Twitter and find the audio version on your favorite podcast app. For more content, go to LeeHacksawHamilton.com.